Warning, the following episode contains... Whew, okay, here we go. Dead babies. Sandlot porn. Scary houses. Strong language. Physical deformities. Inbreeding. A woman living under a fucking bed tied to a board screaming crazy... Anyway, bromance. And the following episode will contain talk of Johnny Mathis. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast, Patreon edition. And I'm probably going to surprise some folks because I'm putting this out both on the Patreon and the main feed. If you're not aware of what we do over on the Patreon, it's a dollar a month, blah, 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 all that. You know that from the regular episodes. If you want to know how to contact us, go on all that stuff. Otherwise, this will be up for about a month on the main feed. So check it out. Enjoy it. If you like what you hear, come over on the Patreon. we got a whole lot more about that. But what we're talking about today, banned TV. These are TV episodes that have been banned or challenged for, or just held off, not released until way later, not aired on normal television. We've done before Mod, Hannibal, Family Guy, several different shows over the last couple months. And I just wanted to share this one out, you know, just entice you a little bit. See if you wanted a little bit more. An extra episode a month, just a dollar. But yeah, today we're talking The X-Files, Home, season four, episode two, I believe. And it's a crazy one. Not going to lie to you. I'd forgotten about this episode, sort of. I always sort of remembered it. Well, I mean, I, I, it's like half and half. Like, oh, that's the one with the crazy family, right? Yeah. Oh, I forgot how crazy. Small summary, Mulder and Scully investigate a dead baby found buried with multiple generations of birth defects going on. It's got like a tail and all that kind of stuff. They intrude on the small town of Home, where the Peacock family live. I believe it's in Pennsylvania. They suspect the family has held a woman hostage. The family is not very happy with being intruded upon, so they kill the sheriff, then they kill the deputy, and then everybody attacks there's all kind of stuff one brother and the mom get away the fbi agents are wondering the meaning of motherhood and how the world is changing small towns are getting invaded by all this new technology all this other stuff so there's a lot of themes we're playing with here a lot of just crazy uh almost texas chainsaw level wackiness it's it's a it's just it's it's a crazy episode and yeah i i love it so much the history behind it is pretty much uh, the writers that wrote this episode. They were deemed instrumental in the success of the show. They wrote some of the best episodes. But then they left. But the show was super popular. And they came back and they wrote this episode. And everybody went, I guess we're doing this shit now. (laughs) And that actually comes up a little bit later. Uh, The writers were Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Uh, Director is Kim Mathers. We're going to talk about each one of those, starting with Glenn Morgan. He was born in 1961, Syracuse, New York. At age 14, he moved to El Caon, 
I think is how you say that, California. During high school, he met James Wong, his writing partner. And the two went on to graduate from Loyola Marymount University's School of Film and Television in 1983. Morgan didn't want to write for television. He wanted to write movies. But the two took the job writing for 21 Jump Street. This job with Stephen Cannell Productions got further work on The Commish, The X-Files. Morgan and Wong left The X-Files after Season 2 to create their own show, Space Above and Beyond, but it was canceled after one season. They returned to The X-Files, like I said, and as well the spinoff show Millennium. The two got into feature film writing and directing with the Final Destination series. The One, if you remember that Jet Li movie, and the 2003 remake of Willard. Oh, they also did the 2006 remake of Black Christmas. It was okay. The Final Destination series is probably their best series. Not saying a whole lot. And it kind of, I don't know, it feels like they've been blunted because some of these X-Files episodes are way better than a lot of the movies. They returned to the X-Files when the show was reopened. Uh, the reimagined, whatever the continuation was. They directed one episode. I haven't seen that season, so I can't really comment on whether or not it's good or bad. They went on to produce Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, which is like half good, half bad. I've only watched a couple episodes, and I wasn't super impressed. There's some good episodes in there, though. Uh, Glenn Morgan has been married twice, second time to actress Kristen Cloak. They have four children. It's good for him. Writer James Wong, born in Hong Kong, 1959. He was 10 years old when his family moved to San Diego, California. Originally, he wanted to be an engineer, majored in engineering, but switched to film major at Loyola Marymount University after he saw Apocalypse Now at the Cinerama Dome. After graduating, he landed a job as an assistant to Sandy Howard, a film producer, which sort of got him and his writing partner, Glenn Morgan, in, in the, got him through the door. Much of his career path, including television and film, is with Morgan, and we just covered a lot of that, so it's sort of the same. In 2009, though, he directed a live-action movie adaptation of the anime and manga media franchise Dragon Ball. That's the most I'm going to say about that. Didn't see it. And the only contact I really have with Dragon Ball is some dude in a restaurant one time during a slow shift. A cook sat me down and tried to explain the whole thing. I'm pretty sure he was on meth. I didn't understand any of it. I know at some point they get yellow and they punch each other a lot. But the movie wasn't really well received. Both critics and audiences did not like it. Since 2011, he's been working with Ryan Murphy as an uh, executive producer on American Horror Story as well. So good for James Wong. Uh, He's married to Tina Wong. They have three children. And pretty much that wraps up those. Um, Coming back to the show, they did want to shock the viewers. They used various elements from this episode has The Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The bulk of the story comes from The Brothers Keeper, a documentary about four brothers living together on a farm in upstate New York when one mentally impaired brother killed another one. There's a big court case about it. The second basis of this episode comes from Charlie Chaplin's autobiography, of all places. He described being introduced to a quadruple amputee who was pulled from under a bed, and as the family danced around him, he just flopped around on the floor. And there's also some Andy Griffith Show stuff in here. And I, I like that my notes say some sneaky Andy Griffith Show. It's, it's right there. They say everything except for Andy Griffith. Now, the director of this episode, Kim Mathers, you might not know his name, but you've probably seen his work if you like The X-Files. 
I was born in 1951. His father had a few television credits, and Kim began acting in commercials at a young age. He began directing with Charlie's Angels in 1978, a couple episodes of that. Mostly television director, by the way. He continued with television throughout the 80s with episodes of 21 Jump Street, Mission Impossible, Star Trek The Next Generation, Baywatch, K-9000, The Commish, and you can see the some layover with him and Wong and Morgan. He's known for being a director of multiple episodes of several shows, including the oh, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., if you're a Bruce Campbell fan, The X-Files, which he was nominated four times for awards for, and Supernatural. He was a big director on, I think, the first couple of seasons, four seasons, roughly, of Supernatural, and got, unfortunately, uh, lung cancer in 2009. He passed away, but they did a really good tribute to him. So if you like a lot of like weird, esoteric shows, you've probably seen Kim Mather's work. He actually, when they introduced this episode, they scripted it out. He loved it. The producers, however, thought it was grotesque, is the word I believe I kept reading over and over again. One actor on the British Columbia set was told, quote, this is awful even for us, unquote. And I believe it was during the first scene where they were burying the baby. <laughs> however, there was one cast member that really didn't, wasn't bothered by the whole thing. David Duchovny said in an interview that it didn't scare him, rather touched him with themes of, quote, to live and to propagate, unquote. Which, I don't want to touch too much on David Duchovny and his troubles over the years, whatever they may or may not have been, but that's a weird fucking statement <laughs> to say about this show. I mean, yes, there is a thing about, in this episode, about continuing on after shit's gone south or moving forward. Uh, continuing your line, but I think this show just shows it in the most perverse way possible. They did have some issues in post-production, though. They wanted the song Wonderful, Wonderful by Johnny Mathis to play during one scene, the scene where Sheriff Andy um, meets the Peacock Brothers, but the singer would not sell the rights after hearing about the script. They used a cover version instead, so they got the song, just not the Johnny Mathis version. They did have to change the sound of a sound effect of the baby crying to make the baby sound more sick to appease the ratings. If you don't, uh, we'll get to it, but yeah, the baby apparently sounded too healthy when they buried it alive. (laughs) And that was just fucked up. The episode is the only one in the series to have a TVMA rating, mature rating, and the first episode in America to get that rating. So... You know, trailblazers. And we're the only few to have a content warning. So, like, when you start the episode, it's like, this this shit's fucked up. (laughs) It's really good. Like, the fact that people were like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, this is is fucked up even for us. (laughs) This is messed up. When the episode aired, it was watched by 18.85 million people. About 21% of those watching television that night. So, if you were watching television there... One in five of you were were watching this episode, which is, those are bonkers numbers today. I I don't know if you've ever looked at what, like, Cher or Nielsen ratings or all that crap. Nobody, nothing gets these numbers anymore. Not any Marvel shows, not any regular TV show, nothing gets these kind of numbers. That's crazy. It's not like last episode of MASH numbers, but it's fucking, that's a lot of people watching one episode. When the station FX did a 
quote, most popular episodes marathon in 1997, the episode came in at number one. Oh, and I believe this was since this show, this, this episode came out in 1996. That's the only time it was aired. The first time it was shown after 1996. So they put it out with a content rating. It may mature, you know, watch out, hold on to your butts. It's Fox of all fucking places. But the X-Files was a massive hit, you know, with all that stuff. And then they were like, fuck that, put it away. Don't show it. And then FX, you know, the more like harder edge thing, were like, yeah, we'll do an X-Files marathon. X-Files marathon. What do you want to play with it in there? And everybody was like, fucking home. We got to see that again. Because remember, this is before like DVD box sets. There was probably a couple of like VHS. They used to have like three or four episodes on one VHS cassette you could buy. But you couldn't buy like a whole season. So this was the only time people could watch it again. And people were like, fuck yes. I mean, there was probably tapes circulating. People taped it off the original broadcast and sent it around. But still. Yeah, they held this off for an entire year. Never played it on the... uh, As far as I can tell, it's never been played on Fox again. It was never rerun. This has always been... The only time it was aired was on the 97 episode. On another channel. Fox owns it, but still. That should be in itself. It was super well-reviewed. Everybody likes it. It is very well done. And it's known as one of the most frightening episodes of the entire series. It's like nine, ten seasons, three movies... Or two movies. I forget. I know there was one good one. I say good, but it is all right. And then one just got off of one. That is one of the only times I've actually like stood up in an employee screening. Walked out of the theater, smoked a cigarette, came back and was like, anybody watching this shit? And we just fucking ragged on it the entire movie. My history with the X-Files, I did not have Fox in my hometown. Which is kind of interesting, the theme of the show. A lot of people that had satellites did, but South Mississippi did not have a Fox affiliate for a long time until I believe the coast finally started broadcasting to our area. Uh, there's only one in Biloxi, I think, or Gulfport, I forget. Gulfport, Biloxi, the whole metropolitan area down there. They finally got a Fox station, or they always had it and just weren't broadcasting in my area. I don't know. Cable company was weird. Maybe somebody in the church in town decided, which happened a lot by the way, uh, somebody in the church in town would be like, we don't want this on our televisions. So the whole, you know, rich white people group would be like, you know, raise their pitchforks and the cable company wouldn't do it because they were owned by other rich white people. So that's usually what happened. But then we finally did get Fox because the cable company was like, well, it's a package now. Fuck it. It's all yours. Although, now that I say that, 96, we probably had it by then. I remember a my girlfriend's friend loved it and I'd maybe seen one or two episodes by then, but hearing, you know, cheerleader talk about, Oh, I love the X-Files. It's crazy. I'm like, wait, you like horror? She's like, no, 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 no. I just like the X-Files. I'm like, well, from what I've seen. And then I remember seeing this. I think I saw this later when I got the DVD set, but anyway, enough personal history, weird shit. Uh, Before I watched it, like I said, I'd seen it before. I think I saw it on a box set that I bought years ago, maybe a streaming at some point, me and a friend, you know, knock back some beers and watched a bunch of X-Files together. I remember some really Texas Chainsaw type images, um, the woman in the cupboard, or the, I always thought it was a cupboard, but it, she is under the bed. I, I remember thinking that was 
fucked up and weird. And but to, it was kind of vague. I don't remember a lot of it. But uh, there's a lot more on that. If you remember the warning at the top of the episode, it gets way more crazy than that. Uh, it was, like I said, technically banned. Due to the subject matter, the Frox Broadcasting Company decided not to rerun the episode. To my knowledge, I could not find. I'm sure they've played it since then. There's probably been a Fox Marathon or rerun or something. Hell, I mean, TV's gotten a lot more sophisticated, I guess is the best way you can say it. I mean, this is still pretty shocking. I'm not going to lie. Even I, when I'm watching it now, and I've, I've seen, hell, you've looked back in the back catalog. I've seen tons of stuff. We covered an episode of Hannibal on this show. That show's 10 times a fucked up. This still shocked me. This still hit pretty fucking hard because it's weird. It's it's weird and it's dark and it's just, there's so much strangeness to it. I, I, I can't wait to get into it. Uh, for all this thing I've seen, it's just really strange. And But I couldn't find any reruns of it or anything like that. Or in, But I'm sure it has now, like I said. TV's changed completely. Hell, Breaking Bad about a high school meth dealer who shoots people in the face or blows them up or whatever the fuck he did. I've, I haven't seen Breaking Bad in a while. I don't remember a lot of it. Maybe I'm, I need to rewatch. Technically, I never finished it. Huh. Well, that's just me rambling to myself at this point. Of course, that's technically what I'm doing anyway, but hey, what? why not? And I'm hitting shit. Sorry if you can hear that. Anyway... Um, let's get into the plot of this episode. I'm going to be kind of bare bones with it because it is kind of a bare bones plot, honestly. There's some weird, quirky stuff. There's, But generally, if you look at the actual episode, it's 40-something minutes, but it goes by pretty quick. But there's not a lot of things happening. I mean, this is a horror show, so there's a lot of suspense. There's a lot of like people getting in the car and then driving to the car and then seeing the victim and then going back to the car and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's not a lot of like, I don't want to say not a lot of plot because it is plot and character. It's showing you, but it is a lot of showing you. It's a lot of suspense. So anyway, um, right off the bat, we see a baby being born. Woman screaming, uh, three guys that don't quite look right. We can't quite see them. It's all dark. Uh, there's blood, babies popping out. The three men carry it out. Now you can see it a little bit better. They're outside. They're in the rain. There's mud. Uh, they're in a field. Two of them begin digging a big hole. The third one stands there, and the part that kills me is that he's caressing it. He's, like, trying to soothe the baby, even though it's just crying and weird and fucked up. I mean, it's newborn, so... But there's something that he's that he's being tender. Like, even just a little finger or a thumb rub, just to... Oh, it's fucked up. Because then... Just put it in the ground and you just see the baby's point of view and hear the cries. And it says the sick baby cry, quote unquote, whatever that means. The version I saw sounded pretty fucking healthy to me. I don't know what a healthy versus a sick baby sounds like. Maybe that's where I differ if it's there's something weird in my head. I've heard a lot of kids cry, though. Work, working in a library, I got tons of cousins, I got a nephew. I've been around babies most of my damn life. I mean, I'm not good with them. I'm not babysitting yours, but just saying. I know what a baby cry sounds like, but I can't differentiate. And I don't think a lot of viewers of the X-Files could, well, maybe, maybe a lot could. Who's to say? Didn't sound like a sick baby to me. Sounded like a healthy baby as we're staring up at these. Uh, I also don't want to say, I mean, they are deformed. 
there's deformities. There are people with deformities, I guess is the best way to put that. But yeah, they, they're straight babe. I don't really care what I say about these people. They're burying a baby in a rainstorm. And I mean, you just see clods of dirt hitting the camera. It's fucked up. And then we just cut straight to the X-Files theme, which I love the fucking X-Files theme. It's just so nice and haunting and kind of just drifts along, but there's also the weird mystery to it and whatever that fucking, I keep thinking theremin, but there's got to be more to it. There's piano and I'll just kind of whack it. I love that theme. It's so iconic. It's so good. I believe Mark Snow was the guy who made the theme. I didn't look that up, but I listened to Camille Nanjiani's X-Files episodes. If you want really good X-Files episodes, go to him. <laughs> Super good. Just, just, this episode's awesome. And that theme is great. Uh, then we cut to a bright, sunshiny day. Bunch of kids playing baseball in the mud. Uh, one of them, they're putting down a home plate because, quote unquote, he was bitching about all the mud. So that's instantly like, oh, no, this is that's where that baby was. Yeah, there's kids playing Sandlot baseball where the fucking baby was born, like buried. Oh, what the fuck's going to happen now? And there, you can see the house in the background. And it's like one of those. It's Texas Chainsaw House. It's not kept. There's growth all around it there it's it's just fucked up and it they're just a foreboding even though it's bright and sunshiny and kids are just playing baseball and kid hits the fucking ball and it goes over one of the kids is like go get the fucking ball and he looks back and he says you went in the peacock's yard everybody kind of stares at him you know oh it's okay we got another ball <laughs> don't worry about it and they go to play and the kid at bat he's like kicking the dirt because you know baseball so you gotta kick dirt and rub it on your whatever the fuck they do and then there's blood under his shoe ew gross which it seemed like they'd buried that thing at least two feet deep but you know whatever mud things travel who knows so yeah and then like a little arm just pops up like a goddamn zombie and the kids are freaked out of course and that instantly pops over to Scully and Mulder our agents have shown up I don't know what to call them. I call them the agents. I call them the duo. I was writing these notes out and just kept calling them different things because it's saying Scully and Mulder every goddamn time got really fucking boring. So if you hear me say some anything that sounds like two people, it's probably Scully and Mulder. So yeah, they're in the field. Scully's doing her science. I'm like, oh yeah, there's all kind of fucked up shit in here. And I can see like boot prints and there's, it's just wacky. And Mulder's standing there with a the baseball just kind of tossing it around, enjoying it. And he's like, smell that ball. That's baseball. That's summer. That's happy times. And yes, this is establishing, even in the fourth season, their different personalities. And Because, you know, what if this was your first episode of The X-Files and you didn't know who Scully and Mulder were? And, oh yeah, she's all about science and stuff and he fucks around with the baseball. It's kind of a dick. Anyway, um... Yeah, and they make an offhand comment like, oh, this is a small town. It's called Home, Home, Pennsylvania, I believe. And of course, just as they say, oh, this is this is tiny, this is Mayberry, the sheriff shows up and he says, hi, I'm Andy Taylor. And he has a deputy named Barney, not Fife, by the way, that joke's made. But this is the, that little town um, that, you know, nobody locks their doors. And nobody, he doesn't even carry a gun. You know, it's one of the, it, it, this is Mayberry. And 
now things are coming to Mayberry because things are happening in Mayberry. And I don't think that ever gets like put down, but maybe we'll talk about that in a second. So yeah, he shows up. He tells the duo, town small, it's set in his ways. Uh, he's, he's scared that, you know, this will attract attention. He, there's no cell phone reception. Uh, when they later stay in a hotel that I'm not really going to talk about too much, but like the lock is busted on the door and nobody's bothered to fix it. It seems weird. You'd think even travelers would want to fix the damn door lock. But anyway, uh, Mulder ends up putting a, putting a chair underneath the door. The TV doesn't have reception. Like I said, their cell phones don't work. This is in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. And it, to a level we don't have anymore, I would say, in America. There's probably places, but you'd have to go like in the fucking desert. No place that is inhabitable by people, I don't believe, in the continental United States would probably be this way with more than, you know, 10 people there. There's probably some communes out there. People fucking living off the grid, more power to them, do what you got to do. But yeah, this is one of those towns. There's nothing there. And they're kind of scared that, and even the sheriff here says, you know, he doesn't want things to change. It's nice. It's comfortable. Everything's great. And Mulder's like, well, what about that house? And he just kind of sits there and goes, well, that's not great. But we're not going in there. We're not talking to them. They live by themselves. Uh, the parents of the Peacock family, we find out their names. The parents died in a car wreck a long time ago. And there's three brothers, and they just kind of hold up. They're not doing anything. They even stole the parents' bodies from the car wreck. Wouldn't let anybody treat them. Just left the car out there. And they're not doing anything else. Uh, they keep to themselves. They raise their own crops. They feed themselves. They quote, raise their own stock, unquote, which has a sort of double meaning. They've got cows and pigs and stuff, but it also might mean a lot creepier shit later down the line. But they go to the sheriff's office where the baby is, and the baby's at a mini fridge because this is this type of town. It's so small. There's not a morgue, which I don't know what happens when people die. There's got to be something that happens like people have to spontaneously die it's just how people it's just how we are i mean we're we're just accidents happen shit goes south all the time do they just there's got to be a morgue somewhere they got to be a place at least a drawer not just a mini fridge because he's literally got the baby wrapped up in a towel it's still got blood and shit all over it which uh for the investigation probably but still you would think and so yeah they and then they have to do their examination, but they're like, well, we can do it here and just lock your door. And he's like, I don't lock the, sh the sheriff doesn't lock the door in this town. People would talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably good that they don't talk because then that would attract to the, to the Peacock family. And that's not what they want. Everybody's trying to protect everybody. So, you know, let's go in the closet with this dead baby, even though the kids saw it. I, I don't know. There, there's all kind of, if you think about this episode a little too hard. Maybe things go sideways really fast. But anyway, so the duo, they clean the, they look at the baby and right off, it's fucked. I mean, there's like two good shots that are like maybe a second of just this super deformed, like it's got a tail, its legs are twisted, its arms are twisted, its head is mouth-shaped. It's still in newborn sort of way. So, you know, there's blood and dirt and stuff all over it because of the burial and she even looks in the thing and says, yeah, there's blood and there's dirt in its mouth and its nose, which means it was buried alive. It inhaled it. 
And that's fucked up. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's fucked up. But this is not an FBI matter. But then they say, well, there's three brothers. Not one of them, you know, popping out a kid. So this has got to be one of them. Like, this has got to be, they kidnapped somebody. There's somebody in there. Kidnapping is an FBI thing. So Scully and Mulder can hang out. Which is sometimes I have to wonder if how how many hoops they jump through to justify FBI agents working on these cases. Because this one is sort of a weird one where it's like, no, nah, I think like local law enforcement could probably try to handle this. I mean, there's a dead baby. It, I mean, malformed or not, it's not like, I mean, yeah, it's weird. And apparently he called for help. And the when he talked about the baby, the bureau chief was like, fuck no, call the weirdos. Which seems strange on itself, but anyway, who cares? We got Scholar and Moldy here. Scholar and Moldy. <laughs> I'm probably going to say that a lot too. I don't know why I mix up their names. Maybe it's just fun. Too many years of fucking around with friends who really, really super love this show. And me just like, ah, because I'm a dick. Anyway, there's lots of references in this whole episode. And I'll get to it a little bit later about Scully being a mom. Of course, later that happens. Uh, the duo do go to the Peacock House, and they look around. There's not a whole lot of shit. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of shit. And there's just stuff piled up, but nobody's home, or so they think, because there's an eye watching them. We see that. And they later that night, the Peacocks then to the Johnny Mathis song "Wonderful, Wonderful," go out into the Cadillac that they've got parked outside. We later find out this Cadillac was just abandoned on the road, and Peacocks just grabbed it. Fill it up with gas. There's a really nasty scene where he sucks gas out of a hose. Where'd they get the gas? Who knows? But anyway. Uh, and how are they doing this farming? Like, there's a lot of questions about what's working here and what's not. But whatever. So they suck the hose out of the gas. And you can see how deformed his mouth is. Now, just this shit's fucked up sideways. But they gas up the car. Apparently, they can drive. Because they drive into town to Andy Taylor's house where he's getting ready for bed, but he's sitting outside in the porch and his wife comes out and is like, Hey, what's up? You know, you're worrying about nothing. Everything's gonna be fine. He's like, Oh, just looking at my town before everything changes. And she's like, Psh, come to bed, big boy. You know, well, whatever. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. They're, they're a very sweet, nice couple. But when they do go inside, they close the door, do not lock it. Which, there's windows everywhere, so who gives a fuck? But still, yeah, that's a thing. Go upstairs. They're in bed. He hears something. Goes for his gun. Doesn't matter. They brothers just come in and beat the shit out of him. Like, literally cave in his skull. Beat him to death. His wife's hiding under the bed. She sees this happening, and then they just, they smell her. Because they've gone animalistic somehow. Apparently, you can inbreed so much to where you're just animals. That's what Mulder posits. Posits later. But yeah, they throw the bed off of her and you just hear screams as the thing goes out. And then the brothers run out of the house, get in the car and drive off. Ooh. And it's brutal. It, that's, it's fucked up. That somebody would just, you know, come in your house and fuck your shit up. The next day, apparently, detect, uh, Deputy Barney is like, was coming to deliver some stuff, found the bodies because he just went upstairs. What if they'd been out for breakfast? Uh, anyway, who knows? He comes in. I guess the door might have been open. That would have freaked me out. Anyway, they all decide uh, local law enforcement couldn't get here fast enough or more law enforcement because it's just 
It's just the two in this town. It's really small. Although the houses are really big. So I don't know what the fuck they do in this town to, you know, survive. Like, are they just a bunch of millionaires? A bunch of people that work at the McDonald's and that's it? Who knows? Probably a plant. Who knows? Anyway, I'm thinking too much about the weeds. Anyway, so they decide, can't wait for backup. There's probably a hostage in there. They've already beaten two people to death. Let's go do this. So they go out to the town. There's a weird moment where they're suiting up there where fucking uh, Scully is like, should we be, why, why do we have to wear these vests? I'm like, well, because it's, it's, did they not usually wear like protective vests when going into a dangerous fucking situation? I mean, even Detective Barney's like, I've seen him shoot random guns. I'm not getting killed by a musket or whatever the fuck technology they have in this weird ass house. He actually does, because they've death-trapped this whole fucking thing. He goes in the front door. Mulder and Scully watch from, like, the back position, because they're going to, like, come in the side door once the brothers have gone to the main door. Whatever. He opens the door. Big fucking thing comes in, stabs him in the chest. We later see there's another death trap, which sort of foreshadows. And, yeah. So, they die. He dies. Pretty hard. Still not calling for backup. Still going to just let this happen. And there's a that weird moment. There, well, there's a bunch of weird moments, like in succession here. And Mulder's most of them. Although Scully gets a weird one too. But he's watching Mulder's watching through the binoculars, and he's like, ah, the Alpha goes forward and starts to hit the dead body, and then the the saying that the other two can go in, this animalistic behavior, blah, blah, blah. And he goes into it. He is super calm. And I know they've probably seen some really fucked up shit. But a dude just died. Like, murdered. And is being just savagely beaten by three... Let's just say Neanderthals is the best way to put this. Like, they have de-evolved as humans. They are just animalistic at this point. And he's just watching it, describing their behavior like a goddamn uh, nature biography. Like the fucking planet Earth. Like, ooh, watch... Watch the antelope get devoured by the jail. You know, by the jaguar. And pulled into the tree where there's a lion. Ooh, the lion get get the antelope or where the jaguar. You know, it's all this really fucked up, dark shit. And, yeah, it's fucked up. It's weird. It's, it's just, it's so weird how he just calmly, and him and Scully are just both like chill about this whole thing happening. But they finally realize, you know, we got to get in this house. We got to get the brothers out of the house because they're the ones they are going to be fucked up. Plus, there's traps and shit, which is a weird reminder later. It's like, oh, yeah, there's traps here. Like, oh, no shit. We just saw one guy get killed. But anyway, they let the pigs loose because there's a pig pen and the pigs go running out. And there's a weird, quirky moment where Scully references Babe. She's like, yeah, I've been like, how are we going to get these pigs to move? And she's like, boo. Was it Bo-Rami? I can't remember what the damn... It's been 30 years since I've seen Babe. But whatever. (laughs) So there's just just a strange reference there. And they finally get the pigs to move. And the brothers come out. And they go inside. And they're exploring. They've already been in this house once. But apparently they just did a quick look through the first time. But they're they're looking again. And Mulder opens the door. And he looks at something. And goes, oh no. And he picks up a newspaper. And it says, Elvis dead at 42. Just a weird moment. Like, what the fuck? It's just strange. Like, oh, I mean, it's quirky and it's funny, but like, it doesn't feel like it belongs right here. 
even to break levity or anything like that. Because, uh, you know, Buffy did that a lot. And I was known for it. A lot of horror that's really good will do like a weird moment of levity during the tense times. Just a, it's a release valve. Just to let that go a little bit. And then put you off your guard so when shit finally actually goes sideways. But this one just feels strange. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, 20-something year old TV show playing with my mind or something. I don't know. But yeah, they find all this other weird shit in the house. Uh, they find fellow uh, family photographs, people with deformities, driven these folks both have had deformities in their family. And, I mean, they could operate a camera. There were times when this family was, I wouldn't say normal, but, you know, they they took pictures of each other. They hung out. They had the technology. I mean, it's not super technology to push a button on a camera, but they, they got it developed. So that means they hung around in town. I don't see this group having a dark room. You know, so it seems like there was a connection in town at some point. And then things got severed. I'm kind of curious where that changed. Maybe it was when the brothers were born. Who knows? And there's even, I don't know, it's, it's strange. But yeah, they do find a woman under the bed screaming. She's strapped to a board. She has, I think she has one arm so she can move herself around. But beyond that, she's just, her like side, half her face is distorted in some way. It's all kind of, it's, it's, it's creepy. But they're like, you know, she keeps screaming. They're like, we want to help you. We want to help you. We are the FBI. Three point break of me. But yeah, and she keeps screaming and just basically pulls herself under under the bed again. And they're like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? Mulder goes off to fight the brothers while Scully's trying to sit there and talk. And the mom starts talking like, yeah, we I was in a car accident. And yeah, they... Like, I lost my, like, they pulled me out. My dead husband's, my arm was sitting in my dead husband's lap or some shit like that. It's creepy. And then goes into, like, you can't believe how my, how mothers love. Everything's going to be okay. Like, you don't understand what, you don't know the pride. You know, like, Jesus Christ, this is, these people are warped beyond recognition. There's even a mention earlier that probably the oldest brother is the younger brother's dad. Like, this all started in some weird propagation the human body just wants to keep living so they keep or to keep reproducing and putting more things it's just it's it's fucking weird but yeah so at some point yeah she's been breeding with her sons the baby was hers in the very beginning uh she's really proud of all this going down she wants it to happen uh two of the sons are killed one is just shot the other gets falls into one another death trap it's like a giant it looks like a vampire trap. It's a big-ass steak. with, And it's actually super well-made. So again, there's intelligence here. Because it, you don't just like instinctually know how to make a booby trap with a line of fishing line and some... And it's know, like a... It looks like a pole or some kind of steak. Like it's big. And it fucking nails his ass and like drives in. So there's some power behind a spring or something. Like they have not been fucking around. They know how to do this. I don't know what you would kill this with if they actually had like some kind of hunting practice, but Jesus. They go back to get the mom and she's gone. Third brother, he's gone. And they're like, well, I guess that solves that. You know, clap your hands together, fucking move off. The last scene, we see a dark road. A Cadillac is driving along. 
apparently the roadblocks that Scully and Mulder were were talking about setting up didn't fucking work because they're just moving along. But we see that the Cadillac is parked and Mom's talking. She says, you know, some shit about we're going to start over. We'll make a new family. Somewhere where the world can't touch us. I'll make a new family. Everything will be okay. And you're already like, ooh, gross. And then the trunk pops open and the sun gets out. This was an after-sex conversation. Without a cigarette. Whatever else. And he gets in the car and it drives off. What the ever... Ugh. Ugh, that's the creepiest way to end up. Ugh, it's just nasty. There's just, that's, that is wrong. You can watch whatever Pornhub stepmom crazy bullshit ever. But I just watched this and it freaked me out. Ugh. Like, just... Just, ugh. I, I have nothing else to say. And then credits, you know, soft thing. And that's that's that episode. It's, it's fucking... It's really good. And, I mean, that's the emotion it was willing to grotesque it's um it's weird it's it's just very strange there's a lot of questions fortunately there are some wrong questions as to like how does this town operate you know how did they devolve that quickly although i guess you know having a baby by your brother i'm not gonna question that anymore Uh, there is some important interesting themes here a motherhood is the big one I think they were just setting up that Scully was going to get pregnant at some point. So they were just wanted to have her questioned like what that's about or unless they already did. Again, I haven't seen this whole series for a long time. So, uh, but I think it's after this that she gets pregnant or has a pregnancy scare when she gets abducted. So they are definitely setting up uh, pride in family, pride in, pride in just being a mother, protecting your kids. Um, but then there's also that need of procreation or propagation that's just really weird that extends to that family thing about, you know, a family unit tying together through thick and thin, through dad dying and bro stepping up to replace. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there there is the ties that bind. And our animalistic nature that's in with that. I mean, that is tied to us as a species. I mean, there's seven billion people in the world. They didn't happen by spontaneous combustion. Sex is a thing. Sex is a thing we're drive to do. And whatever your sexuality is or however you, you know, define that within yourself, it's obvious. You know, we this is what we're made for. Most life is, actually, to just continue to keep reproducing and making it making more. We're finite beings, singularly, but as a species. Unless until we finally kill ourselves, we're doing pretty fucking good. So there is that propagation thing that Duchovny mentioned finding great, but just weird. There's also the small town. Um, time's moving on. That there's a way of life that everyone's used to. That you know you know your neighbors and everything's fine. But then there's this encroaching outside world that just wants to change things. To you know bring in cell towers, bring in different media and you know fashions and clothes and you know are they going to take over your children are they going to put billboards everywhere are they going to you know there's towns where you know are they going to put a mcdonald's here and change everyone's feeding habits is walmart going to come in and close all the store like that's a real thing that happened in america and i say happened because i'm pretty sure 
they won. The outside corporation world won. They put up McDonald's damn near on every street. Hell, Subway kind of beat them to that. <laughs> Not gonna lie, there's more Subways that I've seen in America than anywhere in McDonald's almost, or Walmart's or anything else. And that is a thing. Times move on. Things change, but sometimes they don't change for the better. People do fear that. Sometimes they do change for the better. The internet, I believe, is a wonderful thing. We have all of human knowledge at our fingertips in our pockets of all time. That is a wonderful thing. Fortunately, a lot of people are stupid or evil. And the evil people prey on the stupid people. People just don't think for themselves a lot of times. They let other things think for them, which is another danger and blessing of small towns. Like you can have, you can have the moment where, you know, you have someone like Sheriff Andy here, who's just a good dude. And because he's quote unquote in charge, I guess, or he's the one looking out for everybody, the town's doing okay. But then you have the Stephen King sort of thing where, you know, what if a dick took over and just ruled with an iron fist in the whole town? It was fine, but it sucked living there because this one asshole just ruined everything with his own agendas and his own family, his own needs and wants. It's it's fascinating, the themes and things that's brought up. Yeah. Uh, was there one of those families in your town? How about a house where balls and frisbees went to die? You know, you knocked them over like in the sandlot. A scary old weird house at the end of the street. Oh, yeah, several of them in my town. I don't remember one offhand, but if you want a really good story, uh, I believe The Witch of Yazoo County it was a really good book that's a Mississippi writer that's just super fun to read. I, I really liked it. I think that's what it was called. I can't think of it now. It just popped in my head, and I really want to. It was one of my mom's favorites. She read it a lot. But anyway, uh, if you do, comment below if you're on Patreon. Send me a link on Twitter, Facebook, wherever else, if you're listening to this somewhere else. And if you are listening to this on the main feed for the month that it's going to be out, come and join us over on Patreon. Become a band friend of the library. $12 a year? Come on. And if not, you know, I completely understand. I'm not, don't think you have to. I'm late a lot with this stuff, so hey. But if you want to help out, let us know. Come over on patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Comment below if you like the answer on Patreon. Follow us all those places. You know all that stuff from the regular episodes. I'm not going to redo it, especially since this is going to live on Patreon forever. What I'm going to just say is, I think we're done here. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Watch a weird-ass television show from 20 years ago. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.